This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 178 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me on social media throughout the week. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, I want to start this week by thanking everyone that either took the time to listen, watch, or comment on my Dallas Card Show recaps and the Bill Russell rookie post that I made. And speaking of comments, I had a great question in the comment section of my YouTube recap, and it came from someone named Chris M., who I know is a regular viewer and a regular commenter. Well, Chris asked, Awesome to see you get your grail. If anyone has ever manifested a grail, it is you. What will you chase next? And that question made me stop and think for a little bit, and I guess it forced me to do a little reflecting too. Because all too often, when I've pursued cards, it's been mainly about the chase. You know, sure, I love flipping through them and looking at them, but there's a part of me that really enjoys the hunt. So a lot of times when they finally land in the mailbox, I kind of just, you know, catalog them and then it's on to the next one. I don't appreciate them as much as I thought I would. But um, this Russell rookie, you know, you guys know the journey I've been on trying to get this thing. I've documented the chase for a while now. I'll be honest with you, I've just been soaking it in. You know, it's nice to find a Grail card. Uh, You know, I've been taking pictures, updating spreadsheets, adding it to my Flickr account. I've shown it to Mrs. Wax Museum several times. She humors me like she appreciates seeing it. And it it has a much different feeling than probably 99% of my other acquisitions. It feels like something that I really worked for. Um, and I'm proud of it. So now please don't take that the wrong way either. I'm, I'm thankful for the journey. I'm not here to gloat. But every week, one of my goals is to bring you a realistic snapshot of my hobby experience. And I feel like chasing this card has allowed me to gain some much needed perspective. And that's really valuable to me. And I hope that it can be for you too. So to get back to Chris's question, you know, what am I chasing next? Well, I haven't really thought about what's next, but I appreciate the question because I hadn't really realized that yet either. It's an unusual spot for me to be in, but a good one nonetheless. All right, enough about that. I promise you, you're not going to hear about that card in every single episode going forward. Maybe a few of them, though. Uh, There are plenty of other cards to talk about today. I've got a pair of eBay purchases that came in the mail this week, and then I'm excited to share a conversation I had a couple weeks ago with Samuel, aka the Sports Card Collector, on Instagram. He's going to give a little of his collecting history and also explain how he sees cards as conduits of change. That was a conversation I really enjoyed. I think you will as well, so you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, on to the mail. 
The first card I want to talk about today is a 2005-2006 Topps 1952 style gold chrome rookie refractor. I might have even repeated some phrases in there of Sarunas Yesikavagis numbered 4 out of 25. And I know, you know, player collectors from the 2000s know this set pretty well. And I've even talked about them a little on here before when I acquired my Danny Granger. But the shine on these things is ridiculous. And then as the name of the set suggests, they're designed similar to the 1952 Topps baseball set. Now, it's likely that a lot of you have not heard of Sarunas Yesikavagis, but he's got an interesting story. And you have to look at the context of the early to mid-2000s NBA to start to understand it. Around that time, signing European players was still a bit of an irregular thing. But by 2005, there had been some really successful European signings, and a lot of teams were still trying to figure the whole situation out. Well, you know, here comes Larry Bird. He's working in the Pacers front office at the time, and he zeroed in on Yesikavagis. And you know what? I suppose I fell for him too, because I remember being pretty excited. Uh, The highlight reels on this guy were amazing. He had just been crowned the Israeli League MVP. He was just a great international player. Um, As it turns out, he was not a great NBA player. For one thing, you know, he came into a situation that wasn't ideal. It was a Pacers roster that was completely out of control. Um, But then on the other hand, he didn't help things because he came into the season out of shape. And apparently he also had injured his knee jumping up and down at a U2 concert. True story. Um, Now, my recollection of his play on the court was that he was a pretty good shooter, but not really a two guard. And then when they tried to play him at point, he couldn't handle any type of pressure. So he ended up being a combo guard that really couldn't do a combination of several different things the team needed from him. And eventually he was shipped off to the Warriors and then ended up back in Europe. Uh, I like the guy, but it, you know, it just didn't work. Now, thankfully, he's had a pretty good basketball life, though, all things considered, including a successful coaching run. And for anyone wondering, he currently coaches for Barcelona. All right, the next card I want to talk about is a triple patch of Carl Malone, Kevin Garnett, and Willis Reed from 2009-2010 Upper Deck SP Game Used, and it's numbered 55 of 60. And even though I still needed a nice Kevin Garnett patch for my top 75 PC, I really only bought this for one player, and that's Willis Reed. And his, you know, quote, prime piece on here is a little underwhelming. Actually, all three of them are, are kind of underwhelming in one way or another because Malone's patch is one color. Uh, the Garnett patch is awesome, but it's a Timberwolves piece. He's pictured as a Celtic. Um, and then while the Reed is definitely a patch, you know, as opposed to a mess jersey like the Malone, it's only one color as well. However, if you do a little digging, you'll find that Willis Reed has a very limited number of relic cards out there. And they all came in the span of two or three years from Upper Deck. Uh, There is a really nice duel from UD Black with Walt Frazier I'd like to pick up someday. I don't see that one often. I really haven't seen it in a long time. So who knows if I'll see it soon. This is going to be my placeholder for now. Um, Another thing that I like about this card is that the back uses fairly specific language when it comes to the source material. And this was the last year of the license for Upper Deck. So, you know, they probably could have skimped a little on the wording and, and gotten a free pass from collectors because, hey, you know, they're going out, they're going out, right? Um, but for example, the Garnett notes that he wore it while he was a member of the Timberwolves. Now, I, I'm going to say that to kind of bring that to today and give you some context and some history for how 
companies have transitioned from licenses. Um, at this point, Panini is still doing that with their veteran relics, so I'm going to give them credit for that. For instance, I saw a Lakers Carmelo Anthony card in the latest National Treasures release. It had what looks like a Knicks patch, and then the back confirmed that as well. So at least they're doing that. I'll give them credit once again. But I'll be honest, that's one of the few things they're doing right with relics right now, and it's only specific ones. There's a part of me that wonders if they're not going to start completely mailing it in when the license officially runs out. Um, you know, that kind of worries me as a relic collector. And if it sounds to you like I'm harping on Panini on a pretty consistent basis now, you're probably right. There's a lot of misinformation out there right now regarding relic cards, uh, but what Panini is doing needs to be documented. And I hope Panini, as they currently operate, never sniffs another NBA license again. And yes, I know Fanatics has it locked up for a long time, but for all we know, you know, either they could buy Panini or the NBA might decide that they want to grant a second license. Um, and, you know, in theory, that would be good. Competition is something we desperately need, but Panini does not deserve that license. Give it to someone else. Hey, fellow listeners, this is Tommy. You can find me on Instagram at HoopsCardsAndMore91. I mainly collect cards from the early to mid-2000s, uh, especially the Lakers. I'm hoping you can help me track down three cards that have been elusive for me. 2001-2002 Fleur Shoebox Footprints, Shaquille O'Neal, numbered out of 150. 2000-2001 Topps Heritage Retrofractors, Mark Madsen, numbered out of 72. And 2004-2005 Topps Total Matt Bonner Printing Plates, which of course are one-of-ones. Thanks in advance for the help, and happy chasing. Okay, so I've got to say here, Tommy has impeccable taste. A man after my own heart. He's looking for the early 2000s Shaq parallel. He's looking for the Topps Heritage Retrofractor of Mark Madsen. And those were pretty cool because they were uh, a chromium version of a set that looked like the 71-72 Topps set, hence the card being numbered to 72. Well, I should clarify, the rookies are numbered to 72, the vets are numbered to 272. And then he's looking for Matt Bonner stuff from 2004-2005 tops total. I have been collecting Pacers plates from that set for years. They're not worth a ton, but they don't show up. And those are the sort of thing that you might find in a value box at a card show, say, you know, at the National this week. So please keep an eye out. Uh, and I know I rattled off a lot of stuff there. Tommy, if you're listening... Put all this stuff in an Instagram post and I'll share it and get the word out. And hopefully we can help you track down these cards. All right, before I move into today's conversation with Samuel, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, Go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey, this is Bob Nettleke, former Indiana Pacer, played on a few championship teams, had a lot of fun. You know, I'm listening to the Wax Museum Podcast, one of the best there is. Okay, joining me today is a fellow educator and sports card collector. In fact, you might have seen some of his collection on Instagram where he posts under the handle at the sports card collector. 
Uh, Samuel, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. How's it going, man? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, Saturday morning, just hanging out in my lab. I uh, just want to thank you for bringing me on. I really appreciate it. It's, it's pretty awesome to be in this space and, uh, you know, receive messages um, from people who, you know, resonate with my story, um, resonate with the content that I create and, and you know, want to take the time to get to know me. So I truly appreciate for having me on. Well, speaking of your story, I, I have to say here, prior to this week, um, you and I really hadn't had any prolonged interactions in the hobby, um, but I've got to take a moment here to give a shout out to a couple of really good hobby ambassadors, um, because I was listening to an episode of the Cousins Collectibles podcast where you were the guest and you were talking about your time in education and the concept of human capital and all sorts of things that we're going to touch on today as well. And I said to myself, this is such a unique approach to the hobby. I've got to reach out to this guy. So uh, shout out to the guys over at the Cousins Collectibles podcast. Samuel, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what was your favorite part about recording with Oz and Tony? Um, just just uh, being in that space with them. Um, and, and this is why I talk about the human capital. Cards is a conduit that, that brings us together as a people. And it allows us to truly see how we intersect. Um, regardless of where we live at, where we're from, what we look like. And, um, you know, it, it was awesome just to be able to, to like share that space with them and connect with them and learn about them, understand their story, learn things about their lives. And it's, it's crazy, you know, they're from Redding, PA, and I'm from Philadelphia. So, you know, we're pretty much like an hour away from each other. So, you know, it's awesome that not only do I get to share and connect with them on social media, but I have the opportunity to have like physical interactions with them. So, you know, ultra professional, very organized, dope. And you talk about guys who believe in the hobby and just they're like diehard hobby fans. And um, they just want to celebrate the everyday collector. And, you know, that's 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 the path that I'm taking. Um, during my second hobby run, I want to connect with the everyday collector um, and, and just partake in their story and their hobby experience. So speaking of that, let's um, let's figure out a little bit more context for you. I mean, you're giving us some some good clues here already. Yeah. Um, but if you don't mind, let's just go ahead and jump into your collecting history. Yeah. Can you share that with us today? Yeah. So, you know, I, I came into the hobby as a kid. Um, I. The first cards I actually, the first time I actually saw cards was my older brothers. Um, you know, during that time they had their, you know, cards in the shoe box, sneaker box, and, you know, I fell in love with them. And, you know, I wanted to collect cards. And, and that's how I got into collecting. And, you know, in my neighborhood where I grew up in North Philly, you know, that five to 10 block radius, you know, everybody in my neighborhood collected and, you know, we would go to, and I went to Letlow elementary school and at school, we would show off our cards and, you know, fast forward, graduating from middle school and going off to, I mean, elementary school and going off to middle school, my collecting world grew and expanded. You know, not only was I collecting with other kids who looked like me, but I also collected with kids who didn't look like me. And, uh, you know, that's when you, you, you get involved into like other collecting, collecting other sports. And I started to collect hockey cards and, 
you just learn other people's, you know, tastes and what they like in terms of collecting because it's so diverse. And I just think the hobby is a multi-universe where we can just jump into other folks' world and, and see the things that they like. And um, I'm just appreciative of those experiences um, as a kid, both in my neighborhood and both at Penn Treaty, because that, that's what drives me now in my second hobby run. So you mentioned your second hobby run uh, and you mentioned collecting as a kid. Um, so I'm assuming, you know, a lot of people take a break, right? And yeah. I, I think you came back during the, the pandemic. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So what was it that kind of sucked you back in? You know, like, uh, so I got to fast forward. I got to like, you know, rewind and uh, talk about like why I left the hobby. Okay. So when I was 13, you know, I, I packed up all my cards and the shoebox and I had a ton of cards and I just threw them in the trash because, you know, life was just different and things were changing all around me due to where I grew up at, stuff that was happening at home. And I felt like in those moments, I couldn't think and be a kid in totality. Um, mm. I couldn't have those pure kid moments uh, due to the things that I was exposed to and due to the things that was happening in my immediate world. And I had to walk away from the hobby. And like at that time, throwing my cards away, walking outside and throwing them away, like my, I was heartbroken. And there was also a thought in the back of my mind, like, and, you know, I couldn't articulate that at 13 years old, but I always told myself that if I ever get the chance to come back to this space, I'm going to come back and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to have fun with it. And it's going to be like a passion. Um, And I wasn't saying that at 13, but I felt that, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was giving up something that I enjoyed. And for a little bit, like when I was 19 and in prep school, I got back into it a little bit, but I was solely focused on playing basketball. Um, And how I got back into it briefly, one of my roommates gave me a binder full of cards. It had some vintage cards in there, some cool 90s cards, and it just brought back a lot of memories. And like, man, like I really walked away from this space. And then you know, during a hobby, pan- during the hobby, I mean, not that the boom, and, but most importantly, during the pandemic, you know, sitting at home, everyone's shut down, reading, spending time with family. I just went into like the spare bedroom in my house and opened up the closet. And I said, wait, I have these packs of like 92, 93 Don Russ baseball cards that I picked up at a flea market. Um, and then I had I found that binder full of cards. And I just started opening up packs and just something came over me. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm getting back into the hobby. And originally when I came back, I was like, I'm going to sell cards. I'm going to make a ton of money. And as I was like doing my homework, because I had to do some homework because mm-hmm. the high, I'm, it's <laughs> 2020, you know, 2019, 2020. I know this space is different. It's changed. Let me figure out the landscape. So I jumped on Instagram, jumped on, jumped on Facebook, and I, and I slowly realized, and I even went to, like, big box stores to, like, try to find cards, and I slowly realized, like, I don't want to sell cards. That's not who I am. And I recognized the, the lack of access that was happening, not only with me, and I really didn't care about me because I'm a grown man and I'll be okay, but mm-hmm. the lack of access for kids right. and how, you know, that can also create 
an, an inequity when we talk about kids in underserved neighborhoods who want to get into this space. And I say, you know what? I am going to build a premier PC, find all the cars that I loved as a kid, collect vintage cars that I always wanted to collect as a kid, but didn't have access to. And I'm just going to give back and I'm a giveaway cards. And I'm just going to share my passion for the hobby and inspire others to collect in that way and give back in that way. Um, and, you know, that's what created the hobby experience. That's what created, uh, that, that's what birthed the, the, the human capital. And mm -hmm. um, I've been doing it ever since and haven't looked back. And, and I, I'm appreciative of it because I met so many dope people I made so many connections. I've had private moments in hobby stores where I've given away cards to kids. I was like, wait, you're giving me this card? I was like, yes, it's yours. Um, so, and, and that's what I enjoy about this space. So I think knowledge, you know, comes from experience and, and you, you detailed some of your experiences there coming back into the hobby and, and learning things. And it is in fact a, a very steep learning curve now, not yeah. the same hobby as when you left it. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I uh, recall reading about when you came back in, you were, um, I don't know if, if obsessed is the right word, but you said you were really just splurging on Ken Griffey Jr. cards. And um, I remember reading, uh, reading a post where you basically said, and I, I hate to put words into your mouth here. You yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. You basically said things were moving too fast and you bought yeah. one specific Ken Griffey Jr. card. And while you appreciated it, it was your signal like, I've got to slow down. Uh, can yeah. you tell me a little bit about that experience and, and what all you were going through there? So I, I was in Virginia. Um, we were visiting my wife. We were visiting her sister. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to check out Walmart and Targets around here, see if I can get some retail cards. And just in Virginia, um, you know, couldn't find anything at big box stores. And I was like, man, this is like a real issue. And I, and I did some Google researches and I ran and I found this like local hobby store. And I went to the local hobby store and I just was like a kid in a candy store. And I started looking at cards and, and, I, and it was also a moment for me to, like, educate myself because during my first hobby run, when I got into the hobbies, it was, like, the early 90s. So, like, Ken Griffey wasn't necessarily on my radar. I didn't know who he was. Like, I was in North Philly. His games didn't come on our TV. You know what I mean? Like, the teams that we really saw outside of the Phillies were, like, the Cleveland Indians because I was a huge Joey Bell fan or the mm -hmm. Atlanta Braves. Cause like Ted Turner was like the network that time. And for some reason, like right. we got all that, all the Atlanta Brave games. And um, I saw the 1989 upper deck Ken Griffey rookie card. And I instantly fell in love. And I asked a guy in the store about the card, and he told me the history. He was like, it's his premier rookie card. It's the one that everybody wants. And um, I bought it for 40 bucks. Mm -hmm. And from there, it morphed into this Ken Griffey mode because like, yeah, as I got older and I wasn't in the hobby, I understood who Ken Griffey was. Mm -hmm. I mean, pretty much if he didn't, if he didn't get hurt, he'd probably been the greatest baseball player ever. Yeah. And he probably would have crushed the home run record. And like, you know, so I just went into this mode of just like 
buying a bunch of the 89 upper deck cards, all his flare cards, tops cards, sets. And um, I amassed this huge, like, Ken Griffey PC. And, like, you know, I was just like, I need to show this off to folks to, like, take them through, like, the history of, like, all these Ken Griffey cards that I got. But also had to, like, slow down and just, like, appreciate the cards that I do have and, and, and learn about the cards that I have and learn about the stories behind them and learn about the folks who had them before me. And um, it, it was a it was a it was a good moment to like take a step back and just appreciate it, you know. Right. And then also like give away some of his cards. Like I on my Instagram, I've given away several Ken Griffey um, cards, the '89 rookie. Um, so you know, it's 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 good that I get to share that with other folks in this space. Right. And I mentioned at the top of the show that you're an educator. In fact, um, I believe you're an assistant principal. And we hear, you know, I'm, I'm in the field as well. So we hear yeah. phrases like philosophy of education thrown around time and time again. Yeah. Um, and it's an important component of what we do. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because I think your story with the Griffey card in this Griffey collection really illustrates something that all collectors must go through at one point or another. You have yeah. to develop your philosophy of collecting, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you have to determine why do I do this? What's the best way to go about this? And so on and so on. So that's going to guide the next part of our conversation here. So let's say a friend or a coworker or someone you know approaches you and they find out that you collect cards. Um, they're probably going to ask why. So how would you answer that question now? Um, the best way I can answer that question is, is to be like authentic. Um, one, I collect because it connects me to, you know, great moments from my childhood, but it also forces me to address certain things from my childhood and, and past traumas and, and seek support and, and close the loop on that. Um, and it also allows me to just like sit in my passion and enjoy it and, and be okay with enjoying, enjoying it and then also showing, you know, my children, and most importantly, my daughter, Skylar, like find something that you're passionate about it and, and, and create and expand on it and share it with, with folks to see who resonates with it, um, to see, because you never know, your passion might change someone's life or save someone. Um, and then, the, and then uh, the last reason why I collect is it's a form of therapy, you know, um, as a Black man who works in a predominantly um, white run institution in terms of the educational system, there are a lot of things that I have to navigate on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, things that most people who don't look like me wouldn't even think like, wow, you got you go through that or you deal with that, you experience that. I would have never even think, I don't, I've never experienced something like that. And that's not even on my radar to think that way. Um, and it's a form of therapy for me. It allows me to decompress, um, shed that skin of the day-to-day. -day. And then that way, you know, once I decompress and I have those that moment, you know, I can be present with my family. I can enjoy my family. I can connect with my wife. I can connect with my children. Um, so that's why I tell that's what I would tell someone why I collect. Okay, guys, allow me to interrupt for a moment here to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com. 
your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. ComC is currently offering 50% off processing fees for all newly released trading card consignments as part of their Fresh Pulls program. To qualify, cards must be received within 90 days of the hobby release date and submitted using the Elite, Select, or Mailbox processing service level. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. So um, building on something that, that you kind of closed there with, um, I've heard before, I've heard you say that cards are conduits for conversation and change. Um, can you elaborate on that a little more? What do you mean when you say that? So uh, the, the reason why I say that, like, we, we, are, we live in a, a polarizing society, especially when you work in the institution of education. And there are a lot of things that on both sides, folks get emotional about. And I think like through collecting, even if someone is on the other side of the fence, when we like place labels on ourselves, I think cards can create a safe space for us to just see each other mm -hmm. and our most simplistic way and allows us to use those innate qualities that often get lost when we are at odds with each other mm -hmm. um, and, and it allows us to truly have a moment of intersection and, and talk about something that we enjoy. And I think by us talking about something of, of what we enjoy, you know, we're learning some skills to that when we do get to that moment, oh, we've had these experiences together, these positive experience together. And now we're at a place where like we're at odds, but we can be at odds in a healthy way because mm -hmm. I truly know who you are as a human being and I truly see you as a human being. And though we disagree on an issue, we can have a we can be comfortable with having an uncomfortable conversation and we can take the time to listen to understand and not listen to reply. Um, and, and I think anything that folks are passionate about that you share a, a joint interest with someone. I think if we tend to focus on those things and, and use cards or use, I don't know, sewing or anything as a conduit to come together and work on some skills that have been lost due to all the things that have happened to us over the past two years, um, I think we can create some, some real change um, and drive some real change in our, in our communities and um, and those like day-to-day -day transactions that sometimes we, you know, don't really pay attention to like how we impact each other, or how we affect each other, how we hurt each other, um, you know. So I think this all kind of links in then with human capital, which is a phrase you've yeah. also used a couple times here. And I know you explained it on the Cousins Collectibles show, but I, I don't want to assume everyone yeah. consumes the same content that yeah. I do. So uh, yeah. if you don't mind, then I, I think this is a good transition. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit more about yeah. human capital yeah. and how that relates? Yeah. So the, the short side of it, um, in the education world, there's this concept called restorative practices. Um, a lot of schools across the country use it. Um, a lot of urban schools and it's slowly making its way into suburban schools because, you know, they're having some issues too. Um, 
And and what restorative practices it, it derived in New Zealand where in New Zealand where um, the natives in the of the land they didn't like how the government were treating its people, and they went to the government and said, "We have a better way. We have a better way." And the government said, "All right, because what we're doing isn't working. So show us." And the government went down this path of what I define as like this social capital where like in, in the terms of like restorative justice, where like the victim and the perpetrator, they sit in the room and they have these restorative conversations and they come up with solutions centered around accountability, figuring out how to repair the harm, figuring out how to um, re-enter the community. And, you know, I, I look at those concepts and I look at those experiences and say, yeah, to me, that that's that human capital. That's why I like every day in school, I give my students fist bumps or I shake their hand or I give them a high five because the more skin to skin contact we have and those more, the more those interactions we have when we're faced with moments of adversity, we can rely on those positive moments to help us navigate through difficult moments. And, um, that's what human capital is, just those daily deposits of taking the time to see people, to connect with people, to talk with people, to listen to people, to engage and enjoy humor. Um, and and that's, a, that's a real stimulation of like how we can love and how we can connect and how we can build trust and how we can understand one another. I think it's safe to say also that um, human capital has a way of coming back around. I don't know, you know, I know some people might call that karma or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever you want to call it. I think it has a way of coming back around. Uh, I know I've been blessed a number of times, you know, people send me things or, or they say, Hey, I know, you know, you talk about the Pacers all the time. Here's this link. And it's, yeah. it just comes, you know, from these interactions over time. And, yeah. and I've been incredibly blessed by that. And I know that you've been helped with some of your projects as well. Yeah. And yeah. Um, speaking of projects, I want to talk about a couple of your projects real quick. Here. Okay. You had your 70s NBA hunt list, which, you know, yeah. I love vintage cards. So that's, I was all yeah. about that. I was looking at all those posts. And um, then you've got another major project that you've made really good headway on. That's your 86, 87 Fleer basketball set chase. Um, yeah. I'm sure you've discovered now that set collecting is an entirely different beast. So uh, yeah. what does your project um, look like so far? It, it's, it's definitely a beast. You know, growing <laughs> up in, in North Philly during my first hobby run, we didn't collect sets like that wasn't a part of our collecting experience. Um, you know, because, you know, I grew up in a, in a, you know, a neighborhood that was considered like under the poverty line or poverty stricken. Um, so, you know, the only access that we had to cards is when we had those opportunities to go to Toys R Us or Kmart or those big box stores that was around during that time. And, uh, you know, to the point of like, you, you get back from the hobby what you put into it. Mm -hmm. um, that's what my experience has been like with building this set. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm out to prove that you don't have to have a ton of money to, to enjoy this hobby. Um, you don't have to have the best cards to be considered a top-notch collector. And, um, you know, I'm three cards away 
from completing the set, uh, like the base cards, and I'm six sticker cards away from, you know, having all the cards in the 1986 set. And uh, we should and, add, though, you got the Jordan rookie, which is like yes. the huge, huge hurdle, yes. right? I have the I have the Jordan rookie. I have the sticker, and like I am, and I'm a, I'm gonna be real. Like, yes, there are some cards during this journey that I paid for, and I I spent some money on, but I ain't spent like a ton of money. Right. Um. But a lot of the cards that I've received in this in that 132 card set, after I got the first 24. There was a guy who reached out to me and said, hey, I'm sending you 19 Flair Premier 86 cards. And I'm like, what do I need to give you in return? He said, nothing. I just appreciate who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, other people that I've connected with and built relations with, relationships with over Instagram, guys like Stagger Dagger, um, the Delaware um, Card Hunter, um, they have sent me, you know, 86 Flair cards that they found in flea market sets that they have purchased and these are people that i've given cards to and and i've given it to them not respecting something expecting something in return or if i didn't give them something but the fact that we built the connection um Mm -hmm. and the things that i do resonate with them um it's it's been an impactful journey building this set and uh as i prepare for my next like hobby experience content uh wave you know i I'm going to be sharing a lot of stories from, you know, the 86 cards that I have and writing some blogs and doing some PC um, uh, blogs. And um, it's going to be, it's going to be, folks are going to see some good cards and, 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 and experience and, and some good stories that I have to share. So it's going to be good. Well, awesome. I I know our first, uh, it was very, like I said, very brief interaction was when you got that Jordan I remember I shared it because I I love sharing people's successes. So I look forward here pretty soon then in sharing that success of the entire set, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm three cards away. Um, Right now I'm on a, I'm, I'm in this back and forth deal with trade deal with someone on Instagram for the Patrick Ewing sticker card. Um, But I need, for the for the base cards, I need card twenty six, card fifty three, and card sixty eight. Um, Do you know the I'm, names of those off the top of your head? I don't know the names off the top of my head, but I can easily get them when I look at, and I'll send it to you in a message. Okay. And then for the stickers, I need sticker two, four, six, seven, nine, and ten. So I'm I'm almost there. I'm almost almost there. Awesome. Well, like I said, I, I look forward to tracking your your progress as we move on here. Um, well, Samuel, I we could keep talking about education yeah. and cards, and, um, and maybe we'll save some for another day because I, I think yeah. uh, it'd be fun to have you back on. Maybe even yeah. when you finish or start a new project, um, yeah. I'm glad you were able to make time to come on yeah. the show. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance though to share any of your social handles. Uh, or plug anything you might be yeah. working on or anything else you might be looking for. These yeah. next few moments here are yours. Yeah. So um, for anyone, like, I'm not in this to, to like gain and have a bunch of followers. I simply ask folks to just follow the hobby experience. If you want to follow anything, follow the hobby experience. So hashtag the hobby experience. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. 
I'm on TikTok um, and I'm on YouTube um, at the Sports Card Collector. Um, T-H-E-S-P-R-T-Z-C-A-R-D-C-O-L-T-R. Um, I abbreviate sport and sports have a Z on it. And then I abbreviate the word collector. So, um, you know, if you want to follow me and if something I, I say and share resonates with you, I, I truly appreciate it. But just enjoy their hobby experience. That's all I ask. And uh, just make sure, you know, you're taking the time to appreciate everyone's collecting experience because you can learn so much from the people in this space because the hobby is it's limitless and it has so much potential. Um, and it's, I truly believe it's a multi-universe and, and everyone can be successful. All right. Well, Samuel, thank you so much. I appreciate it once again. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank Samuel once again for taking the time to come on and chat with me. I really enjoyed learning about his philosophy of collecting. I think he did an excellent job of highlighting the fact that these are not just pieces of cardboard. And any hobby that you participate in likely has value beyond the raw materials themselves. So thank you once again, Samuel. You can find him on Instagram under the handle at the Sports Card Collector. Likewise, you can find me there under at Wax Museum Podcast or on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. And I know the National has already started. I, I kind of alluded to that earlier in the show. Uh, so those of you who are going, have fun, enjoy it, take lots of pictures, hang out with people. I've already had my fun for the summer, but I plan to have someone on next week who's going, so make sure to be on the watch for that. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.